I just want to start by saying how proud I am of this service for being here at a decent time. I looked up during the, the first song and the room was already full of people and well done to you. Uh, this tends to be a service where people tend to mosey in. So you guys can pat yourselves on the back um, and don't pay me back by being late next week. Uh, no. uh, so this week we continue our, our series, um, Who We Are. And this has been a, a really just a phenomenal last few weeks where we've kind of just been able to articulate the church that we believe God is calling us to be at this time in this city on this corner uh, with these people. And so over the last few weeks, we've been able to look at, one, the type of person that we want to be. And we looked at that through the life of John the Baptist as, as he was someone who was deflective, right? Like Darren talked about as when John the Baptist um, was receiving attention, even like the finger would kind of point away. And that was to symbolize him like pointing people towards Jesus. And then a few weeks before that, we, we, we kind of talked about the ends um, of the, the, the church that we want to be, a church that is Christ is being revealed to us in us and by us. And then last week we, we talked about that, that the thread that, that kind of ties all that together, that makes that even possible, that we would be a church, a, a community that is united in sacrifice. And we see that sacrifice even modeled by the Lord Jesus when he takes his cross on behalf of our sin. And so this week I, I get the privilege of kind of talking about the, the what's next. I think Darren even alluded to a couple times in his different sermons over the last few weeks that, you know, these, these principles that we're talking about, um, these postures, that, that they're really simple. Like they're, they're, there's nothing that, that we've talked about the last few weeks that's completely avant-garde or, or new or, or fresh out of the box. Like these, are, these are core biblical principles, right, that we would point people to Jesus and that he would be revealed through us and that we would be a community united in sacrifice. There's nothing new about that. And I think it, it, like, when we think about what we've heard the last few weeks, we can kind of nod our heads and say, yeah, this, this kind of is a, a really simple um, philosophy or, or, or way to live. But the rub is, though, when it comes time to actually put those thoughts and put those ideas and principles into action. Bless you. Like, honestly, we, didn't, we don't need to have this conversation today. I, we could just as easily say, okay, now go. We're done. We're going to end service early and just going to say, go and reveal Jesus. But the reality is, is that we don't. There's actually data that, that, that proves this. And that, that, that thought that we don't doesn't come from, you know, experience or conversations I've had with you. But, but there was uh, some research done a few years ago by, um, I forget which publisher, but the, they, they, they interviewed believers or surveyed believers in Canada which they're a lot nicer than us. So it's a little surprising that their, their numbers would be this low. But the, the, the data that they got was that only four out of 10 Christians believe that it is their responsibility to actively share their faith. Four out of 10, those 43% of believers. And then of those 43% that believe, or of that 43% who believe that they're supposed to, 78% of them haven't done it in the last six months. 78% of believers haven't shared their faith or talked about Jesus in the last few months. Why, why is that important? Well, in the verses that we looked at in Acts, the part that I really want to hone in on is verse 47, where it says that the people were praising God and having favor with all the people. That they were having favor with all the people. 
if we're not talking about Jesus, if we're not living our lives in a way that's declaring his glory, then it's impossible for us to have favor with the people. Jesus has the ability, God has the ability, that the moment we say yes to him, to, to immediately bring us into his presence and that at that moment we can begin to f- experience the fullness of the kingdom and his glory. But he doesn't. When we say yes to being a follower of Jesus, he, 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 he leaves the church, the institution in which we reveal Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. Darren said in a few weeks ago that God desires to use broken people to reveal his purpose and glory. God desires to use broken, and I'm going to even add in-progress people, to reveal his glory to the world around us. So as as we wait for Jesus' return, as we wait for his second coming, there is something for us to do in that time, and that is revealing Jesus' glory to the world around us. Jesus, to the remaining 11 before he ascends to the Father, says to go out and make disciples of all the nations and to teach them to do all the things in which I've commanded you. So then that is to teach them to go out and make disciples of all the nations as well. And we continue to live in that tradition of making disciples of all the nations. Now let me redefine that, that discipleship, because I think oftentimes we look at that or we look at that word through the lens of our Christianity or of our faith upbringing. When we think about discipleship, we think about uh, uh, 10 steps in a book to walk with Jesus. Or we think about a program that maybe we've experienced at our church. But in reality, at its core, discipleship is a becoming a student of a teacher. So go out and make the world students of me. Make them followers of me. And in that, that, that followership, as we invite people into our lives, as we follow Jesus, they begin to see the revealed Jesus in us and ultimately the revealed Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Now, I know as we begin to have these conversations about evangelism, uh, we, we, tend to, um, we tend to take a step back and maybe say, like, this isn't for us. We exclude ourselves from the conversation, right? Because we're so versed. In, in kind of Christian vernacular and jargon that when we hear the term evangelism, we often think evangelists. And we think, well, that's, that's not me. It's really easy to look at the evangelists of our times and the books being written and to see the ways that they articulate uh, the gospel of Jesus. We see the way in which uh, they, how, how just compelling that they are on a stage and how they can communicate the truths of Jesus in a way in which people hear it and immediately respond, falling on their knees, sometimes giving their life to Jesus in an instant. And we look at stories like that and we look at people with those giftings and we simply say to ourselves, I can't do that. And the reality is you can't. I can't. See, the whole purpose of me standing here on the floor this morning, because I want you to know that we're in this together. That oftentimes when you look at a teacher on stage, it's easy to say that's the professional. They're the one being paid to do this. So I'm just going to step aside and let them do their job. But in reality, this, this who we are of people that are revealing Jesus, this is for all of us, myself included. And so this morning, as we begin to talk about maybe some principles and practices to begin to live this out. Yes, I'm going to use illustrations from my own life. But hear this, I do not have it figured out. I am, like you, still discovering ways in which to talk about Jesus, to reveal him to my neighbors, to invite people into following Jesus. 
And the reason I know I haven't gotten this figured out is because my kids make it very clear to me that I haven't. A few weeks ago, uh, probably a few months ago, my son and I uh, were driving in the car to school. And he, he'll oftentimes ask me like kind of these like off-the-wall questions that I'm not ready for. And he said, Dad, how? He said, what percent of a, of a Christian are you? And I'm like, well, son, I'm 100% Christian. Why do you ask? And he's like, well, sometimes I hear you use words you tell us not to use. Or sometimes you're, you're kind of grouchy. Or sometimes, you know, you and mom argue. And so you're not 0%, but you're not 100%. I would say, Dad, you're about 40% Christian. <laughs> and they, I was like, well, at least I'm some Christian. But it, just, it, it prompted a great conversation about grace and being in process and how all of us, really none of us as followers of Jesus, are 100% until we're with him for all of eternity. But it's kind of become like this, like uh, a descriptor for me and my wife when like we're struggling or we catch ourselves kind of not representing Jesus in the best way possible. You know, my wife will say, like, hey, you're being a 40 percenter right now. <laughs> but it goes both ways. And so I'll say the same to her sometimes. I'm actually working on making some t-shirts that say like 40 percenter. You know how bikers have like the pat to say one percenter? I'm going to be a, a 40 percenter. And, and you guys are welcome to join my club um, if, you feel, if you feel like it. But I think it, we laugh about that. But I think there's some truth there. Because I think oftentimes we know that about ourselves. We know that we all fall short often of clearly and accurately representing Jesus in a way where he receives the fullness of glory. And because we know we're 40% Christians, instead of saying something, oftentimes we just choose to say nothing. I'm right there with you guys. And so my hope is that, that as we talk about this strategy that we want to make available to you, is that you would take advantage of it, learn from it, not replicate it, right? Because we have a lot of people in this room, which means there's a lot of different ways in which God is calling us to live out the gospel. But my hope is that in our conversation today and in the training that we want to make available to the congregation, that the Holy Spirit would open our gospel eyes, that we would see ourselves the way Jesus sees us, that we would see his desire to use us exactly how we're wired, exactly how he's made us to reveal him to a world that desperately needs to meet him. So let's, so let's begin the conversation. You may have heard us have this conversation about circles. And it's this idea that God has uniquely placed people in our circle that we might be able to reveal him in a way that nobody else can. That God has uniquely placed people in your life to, so that you might reveal Jesus in a way that nobody else can. And so we have some steps to kind of live this way. Again, not that you might go home and practice them or copy them verbatim, but they would start a conversation maybe in you and your prayer life with God or maybe in, in your family or with your, your small group or, or other people that are following Jesus alongside you, that you would begin to talk through what does that look like for me, for us to reveal Jesus to the people that God has uniquely placed in our circle. And so the first step is that when we're going to live intentionally with our circles is that one, that we would identify. 
I think there's a slide that's coming up. Identify who has God uniquely placed in the front row of your life. These are all going to be eyes to make it easy for you guys. So the first, and there's five. The first is identify who has God uniquely placed in the front row of your life. And the thought is this. Here's the front row. That there are people that are in my life that just have greater proximity to me and how I live and to how you live. They have greater proximity to how you treat your family, how you treat coworkers, how you treat uh, the person experiencing homelessness in front of the coffee shop you attend. There are people that are watching you in a way that, that other people can't. And actually the data says that um, every single person can handle about 18, or excuse me, eight to 15 um, deep relationships. There was a study done in, in the 90s, called the, it's called the Dunbar Principle. But it's this thought that, you know, you and I can only have intimate, deep relationships with about 8 to 15 people. And so that identifies who are the 8 to 15 people that God has uniquely placed in the front row of your life. Now you might immediately be asking yourself, but I only know Christians. Well, that's okay that you know that. But now what are you going to do? Because God has called us to reveal him to people that don't know him. And so once you've identified that, then the question is be, will, ask, will be to ask yourself, well, who are the people in my life that, that don't know Jesus? Who are the people that God has placed in your life who don't know Jesus? And through this identified portion, we're just going to help you have gospel lenses to see the people that, that God has placed in your life. Maybe sometimes we're just looking at the people closest to us, like our family, our small group, um, our family, our extended family members. Like, yeah, these are probably people that share similar faith values with you. But maybe ask yourself the broader question, who are the people that I'm interacting with outside of that? Do you have the tendency to visit the same coffee shop every week? Do you shop at the same grocery store? Do your kids play in a particular sport? These are all opportunities for you to identify people that God has placed in your life to begin to reveal Jesus. One of the ways that Anna and I do that in our life is that we just, really my wife is the more extroverted person. And so oftentimes she'll meet people in the community, whether they work for nonprofits or city workers or they work at coffee shops. Uh, and then she will, she'll begin to introduce us and kind of make coffee dates for us to hang out and get to know other people. But these are people that, that have proximity to us. You know, they're, they're people that work at the library, which she hangs out with a lot or hangs out at a lot with our kids or people that work at the same coffee shops. And so we're able in team and individually to begin to identify the people that God has uniquely placed in our life. And once we've identified them, the next step is we can begin to invest. How do we invest in the lives of those in our circles? What, is, what does it mean? When I say to invest, what, what does it mean to invest in the lives of the people in our circles, the people that have the front row of our lives? Well, I, I kind of look at it in the terms of like investing money. Like you're investing something now to, to, so that the hope is that there would be a return somewhere in the future. And that moment, invest, moment of investment now, it's, it's not free. It, it costs you something. It costs you taking some money out of an account or it costs you setting aside some money so that you can have money. But there's something that it costs you now to earn something in the future. So my question for you is that for the people that God has placed in your life, what is, it, what is the cost of you investing 
to go deep with people. I also want to, I want to add to this, and maybe you're in the room and you're not a follower of Jesus. Um, the hope is that we don't just want you to know Jesus for the sake of filling up this room. Or we're not trying to convert you into something um, because we think it's, we're not trying to convert you to something that we might get something from it. The very hope and the very, our very desire to see Jesus revealed to people that don't know him comes from the very principle from Jesus when he says, uh, when he's approached by the religious teacher, this is what is the greatest command? And the, Jesus tells the teacher, well, the command is to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And secondly, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so my very desire, our very desire that we would be a place that reveals Jesus is that I've experienced God in a way that I want every single person that I come in contact with to receive, to experience him as well. In a time where there's so much technology and advances in medicine uh, and ways to connect, loneliness is at an all-time rise. Mental illness is at an all-time rise. Suicide is at an all-time rise. Death is at an all-time rise. Why? Why is it with all the advances that we have that we're still seeing growth in these areas that we thought we've made progress in? And my hope is that as, I, as the Spirit of God and the gospel of Jesus allows me to live and exist in, in trying times like this, that in the midst of a world like that, I can hold on to the hope. I can have faith in knowing that there is something greater at play in the midst of these very difficult conversations and these very different, difficult circumstances. I want the same hope, peace, and joy for the people that God has uniquely placed in my life. I don't want them to have to experience this world without him. So that's why this is so important. This is why it's, so, it's valuable that we invest ourselves into the lives of people that God has uniquely placed in our lives. And so my question for you is that what is it going to cost you? Because I can, I can imagine the moment I say that it is essential for us to invest our lives into the people that God has placed in our, in our circle— you're immediately thinking of all the reasons to not do it, right? You're probably saying, oh, but my, you don't know my schedule. I'm pretty busy and all my kids have sports and sometimes I have to travel from work and it's just, it's just near impossible for me to do the things that you're asking me to do. And I would, I would agree in the sense that, yes, all of our lives are very busy and I hate the fact that sometimes I have to implement new things into my life and I have to take some things out. But there are also ways that we can invest with our very lives exactly how they are. For example, one way you can be, we can begin to do this now is that maybe you took account of your meals. For example, you eat three meals a day, seven days a week. So that's 21 meals times four months. Um, that's 84, is that right? 84 meals. That's 84 meals a month that you have by yourself or with your family. What would it look like to take two of those meals a week and to invest them in a relationship with someone that God's placed in your life? Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you how to do it. What I'm trying to do is give you some examples that might open up your kind of gospel imaginations to begin to live your life in such a way. Thirdly, include. How do we include or invite our circles into our everyday rhythms of life? That last part is crucial. Our everyday rhythms of life. We have the opportunity, 
much as Jesus invited the 12 to follow him, he invited them into his everyday rhythms of life, we have the opportunity to do the same. That as you and I, in all of our being, live a life of pursuing Jesus, we can begin to invite people into that. We can include them in that life. But again, that takes some evaluation. That takes some thinking about that maybe your life and what fills it and the values that you have that you've allowed to fill your life. Like, what are your, what do you do for a living? Uh, what ages are your kids? What, what extracurricular activities do your kids have? What sports are, are you a part of? What are, what are your, your hobbies? What are your interests? The Holy Spirit wants to use all of these things in your life to reveal Jesus to people that maybe have similar shared interests. So again, it's not adding anything to who you are or how you're already living, but again, it's evaluating the life that you have, how you're already living it, and asking yourself, how do I include people in this? An example, another example for that would be, um, over the last couple of years, I've, I've picked up running. Uh, I've started running pretty regularly now. I've run a few marathons. And so I thought, gosh, I'm kind of tired of doing this alone. I'd kind of like to start to do this with other people. And so a few of us here from church have kind of started this running community here in the city. We kind of put it out on the social medias thinking like only people that we knew were going to show up. But it was really cool because other people from the city that have a shared interest in running, that have a shared interest in love for place and city, just showed up to run on a Thursday night. And after running, we got to hang out at a coffee shop for a few hours and just get to know each other and do life with one another. That didn't take me doing anything more than what I'm doing already. It didn't take me any initial effort. It was just inviting people into a life that I'm already living. Now, again, I don't have this figured out. I'm figuring it out with you. I wouldn't have had this thought uh, a few years ago. It's just, just I'm, when I evaluate my life now, these are just the things in front of me. Fourthly, intercede. That it's not only pragmatic in the sense that we're doing stuff, but there is something larger at play as we're living life on life with people. As we've identified the people that God has uniquely placed in our, in our lives, it doesn't just us investing and us knowing who they are or inviting them into our lives and interests, but rather it's us depending on the Spirit to do something in their very lives. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that any of us can say yes to Jesus. It is only by the power of the Spirit that we are convicted of sin and unrighteousness. And so the Holy Spirit is, has, is a major part to play in this. And so as we recognize that, we simply intercede on their behalf living lives, praying without ceasing, not only for ourselves, but praying for those that God has uniquely placed in our life. And so there are times where you can clearly set aside moments to, you know, pray in your prayer closet or to make, take a prayer walk. But also, what about all the other moments of our life? How do we begin to reclaim those as holy moments where we can be intentional on behalf of other people, on behalf of the soul's of the people that God has uniquely placed in our circle. And then lastly, introduce. Have you met my friend Jesus? A few years ago, a few pastors in the area, and we all kind of lead um, similar churches and we, we have similar um, values, we're meeting to talk about ways that we can we can collaborate 
uh, and revealing Christ in our city to some of the, the marginalized people. Um, and so we, we have initiatives for, for homelessness, and we have initiatives for uh, human trafficking. We have initiatives for um, what else? immigration, uh, foster care. But these are ways that we as the Big C Church in Fullerton are collaborating in revealing Jesus to the marginalized in our city. And so one of the, one of the initiatives that we wanted to add was that we would be, quote-unquote, block champions. That we would be people that realize that we're called to a unique place— and in that place, we would live intentionally and champion Jesus. That we would be able to live alongside our neighbors, revealing him to them um, through word and deed. And so the deed was really easy in our conversation. We started talking about all the different serve days that we can invite our neighbors to, and we, all the different barbecues that we could do in our backyard. Uh, but then the conversation came to, okay, now, now how do we actually like, help people know who Jesus is? Right? Like we all, we've all heard the adage, like, preach the gospel, use the words when necessary. And I think sometimes we, we, we kind of lead into that, lean into that more than we should, that we just hope that our actions and our deeds and our kindness will reveal the gospel. And, and the Holy Spirit is totally capable of doing that. But Jesus didn't only reveal who he was through action. Jesus very clearly, on occasion, declared himself as the Son of God. And as followers of him as people who are inviting people into that very same process, into that life of being a follower of him, there is a time in which we need to articulate who Jesus is. And so when we got into that conversation and we started talking about the gospel, how are we going to do that? It went crickets. I think even amongst faith leaders and church leaders in our city, there's this 40% fear that, gosh, they know me really well. Or maybe I'm going to articulate it wrong or I'm going to say it in a way that I'm going to maybe lose relationship with somebody in this group. And so instead of saying something, we said nothing. Now, I don't believe that the guys, the men in that room, that they didn't know the gospel. I, I believe that, that most of us in this room who, who raised their hands as followers of Jesus, that if I asked, that you would be able to articulate the gospel in some way. You'd be able to say that we were created to have a relationship with the Father and that because of sin, we've lost that relationship. In order to restore it, God sent his son Jesus to pay the price of our sin so that we might be restored in relationship with him and experience eternity now and eventually for all of time. I don't doubt there's anybody in this room that hasn't heard that at some point, and, you, and there are folks in this room that desperately believe that. But I think when it comes time to articulating that, we freeze. Because we don't, we don't know the right words to say or we fear that we might get it wrong. So the, one of the ways that I like to look at it is the key point of that, of the gospel that I just shared, is that God sent the Son, God sent Jesus to rescue us from sin. So my question for you in the room, what has Jesus rescued you from? Sometimes it's really easy to just assume this, whether that be because of your upbringing, your family tradition, maybe you went to camp and had a great experience. I'm not taking away from the value of any of those things. But I think as we learn to articulate Jesus and the goodness and his dominance in our life, we've got to be able to say the why. What has Jesus rescued you from? And then when we can articulate that, when we recognize our own depravity outside of Jesus— 
that my hope is that our lives become saturated with gratitude for who he is and what he has done and what that means for us so that when you're having conversations with people in your circle, it's not, hey, how do I strategically intertwine this, this story of Jesus or how do I strategically intertwine this, twine this gospel moment? Rather, just pouring out of who you are because you recognize that Jesus has saved you from death. So my question is, can we articulate that? Because when we can... It's not having to worry that we get all the theological truths about Jesus correctly. And there are, there are times to do that. But rather, we can simply say, have you met my friend Jesus? Let me tell you all the ways he's made my life better. Let me tell you all the ways or all the things that he saved me from. And then, friends, you'll find out that it just begins to flow out of who you are. It flows out into the everyday rhythms of your life. It flows out into the relationships that you've invested in. It flows out into the people that you've included into your life. I'll leave you with a story, uh, and then we'll wrap up our time this morning. There's this, this, this pastor that I met when I was church planting that, that was also planting a church in Colorado. And when he was planting the church in Colorado, his wife was working at a coffee shop and she met one of a, a coworker that, that was going through a really difficult season. Him and his wife were divorcing. He was losing his kids. He was just in a really depressed state. And so the woman, um, the pastor's wife said, you should meet my husband. And so the husband and, and the, the guy, kind of, they, they grab a cup of coffee, you know, and they do that a couple times. And they found out that they both have a shared interest in mountain bikes and hiking so he said, oh, you should, I have some friends that we mountain bike and we hike together. You should join us. And so the guy just invested some time into him and, and, and invited him to come alongside and to simply mountain bike and hike with him and his buddies. And one day when they were finishing up their ride or their hike or whatever, um, the guys outside of the guy, that, the, the, the coworker of the wife say, okay, guys, we'll, we'll see you Saturday. We'll see you Sunday night. And the new guy was like, what's going on Sunday night? And the guy's like, oh, like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't care. You're not interested. Like, you wouldn't be interested in this. And the guy's like, well, well what, what do you guys do? He's like, well, you know, we kind of gather together at so-and-so's house. And, you know, we sing some songs in the living room. And, you know, we kind of get on our knees and we pray. And he's like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be interested in that. And the guy's like, how do you know I'm not? And so they invited him to come. And for weeks, he just stood on the periphery. He just stood on the periphery watching them, maybe evaluating them, maybe asking themselves, what the heck am I doing here? But over time, when they would get on their knees to pray, one Sunday, the guy looked up and he saw that his friend, his new friend, was on his knees. And then a couple weeks later, he prayed when they were all taking turns praying. And eventually, that guy, through investment, through relationship, through the gospel flowing out of all of these men that were coming alongside him, this guy gave his life to Jesus. And not that this, this that's the win in the story, right? That, that, that God was revealed to someone in crisis. God was revealed to someone who was experiencing trauma. God was revealed to someone that desperately needed hope and something to hold on to. That's the win. But God did so much more in the life of that man. God ultimately called that guy to plant the church and lead the church now in Colorado. What, I, what, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to articulate, what, I, what I'm hoping that you guys take away from this is that this is not hard to live a life of following Jesus. Yes, there are going to be times when we mess up. 
Ready, right? We're all 40 percenters in some way. Some of you guys might be 60 percenters. I'm, I'm owning my 40. But we all missed the mark at some point. And none of us are going to get it right. And oftentimes we're going to get in our cars and we're going to say to ourselves afterwards, what the heck did I just say? Or we're going to be in conversation and, and realize we've missed an opportunity. Gosh, if only I would have said this there. Yes, we're going, there are going to be times when we do that. There's going to be times when we misrepresent Jesus. Yes, we are going to do that. But my hope is that we would start to take steps towards this together. That we would start to take steps towards this in community. And that we would discover through these, these principles and these tools what it looks like for all of us to live life on mission, revealing Jesus to the people that God has uniquely placed in our circle. So the, the what's next is this. Beginning next Sunday, during the 11-11, so during this service, we're going to do a five-week training on what does it look like for us to live this way. And it's an opportunity for you just to learn some tools, some principles, maybe evaluate your life, to have some discussion around some of this. And our hope is that at some point, every person that calls Fullerton Free Home has, has the opportunity to go through this. Again, not that you're modeling your life like mine or that you're taking these principles and replicating them verbatim, but that you're evaluating your own life and you're asking the Holy Spirit, how is it that I could be living in such a way that's revealing Jesus? And that your gospel imagination would be open and that you would be able to fully, in who you are and how you're wired, express and demonstrate the love and kindness of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for restoring the relationship with the Father that we are created to have. I pray, Lord, that that very work of your cross would just stir our hearts in a way, Lord, that only you can, in a way that causes your goodness to overflow out of every bit of our lives, Lord, and that you would bring the right people to our circles, that you would bring the right people and the right circumstances and the right opportunities to declare your goodness. Lord, not for our benefit, Lord, but for yours, that your name might be lifted high, that you may be glorified. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen.